Hello, beautiful people. In today's episode, I get the pleasure of speaking to Nicholas Cole. And Nicholas has had such an interesting story. He was one of the highest ranked World of Warcraft players when he was a teenager. He got into competitive bodybuilding a little bit later on. And then he had an injury, which he discusses in this podcast, that forced him to reshape his life and go in a completely different direction. And he decided to go in the direction of writing, and he eventually became a top writer on Quora. Now he has his own writing agency. We got into his whole story. We got into the highs, the lows, and you really get a sense for who Nicholas is in this episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it because Nicholas gave his heart in this episode and really laid it all out on the line. And if you enjoy it, let me know on Twitter. At Hey Danny Miranda is where to find me. Without further ado, let's get to it. Interesting people, thought provoking conversations, nutrition for your brain. Journey through the minds of the world's top performers and discover what it really takes to achieve your highest version. This is the Danny Miranda Podcast. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself for anyone who is unfamiliar with Nicholas Cole. Let's see. Um, well, the starting point is uh, I'm, I've, I wrote a lot on Quora about uh, my background um, as a gamer. Um, I was one of the highest ranked World of Warcraft players as a teenager, if that's anything to be proud of. <laughs> and... Um, and then, you know, I got into bodybuilding after that, uh, went to school for creative writing, uh, ended up working in advertising for a handful of years, um, then ended up seeing this interesting trend happening where, you know, influencer marketing was really taking off in, you know, 2012-ish, um, ended up realizing that I was getting a lot more traction on my own writing than all of the biggest clients that we were working with at this ad agency uh, quit my job, ended up building a company called Digital Press. We worked with like, 300 plus different founders and executives and everybody from you know Olympic athletes and Grammy winners to you know, Silicon Valley investors and grew that to a, a couple million dollar business in like 18 months. Um, and I've and I ghostwrite for a ton of people and I am a writer myself and yeah, it's it's just it's a it's a path that makes absolutely no linear sense, but the common thread is storytelling. Mm. All the dots connect on the way back, right? As Steve Jobs yeah. would say. Yeah. <laughs> so, one of the things, so let's start with the writing because people who listen to this podcast might be writers and I personally want to know this as well. You I read that you write 10,000 words every single day. At least I read that on a Quora post of yours. And I don't know if you're still doing this, but when you're writing 10,000 words, that's not normal. And that is treating your profession as a craft as opposed to just something you do for fun as an amateur. So talk a little bit about why you made this benchmark of 10,000 words a day or talk a little bit about that in general. So... I'll tell you at this point, it's probably more. <laughs> um, and and actually, and you, you bring up a good point. I actually really don't pay any attention at all to word count. I think it's a horrible judge of value. Um, I write a lot. I, you know, I really like giving back and I, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't really have someone telling me a lot of the things that I now believe or have learned as truth for myself just through experience and years of doing this. But when I graduated college with a degree in creative writing, it was really a degree in fiction writing. I mean, there was, I mean, the only career paths that people really told me about were you can either go work at a newspaper, you can be a barista and try and write the next great American novel and probably fail and be poor your entire life. Or, you know, you can go work for like a magazine or a book publisher or or at a library, you know, like there there really weren't people pointing out um, a lot of the things that I ended up discovering. And so 
one of the things that I really try and pass along to other writers, and this holds true for, I think, every industry, if you draw the parallel, but for writers especially, like you should never be valuing your work based on the number of words. Anytime a writer says to me, like, how much should I be charging? I, I, right now I charge 25 cents per word. I'm like, you're thinking in the wrong direction because what you've done, and I, and I talk about this in the book, I don't know if you, you've gotten here, but if you think about that, like seven words is not just universally equal to all seven words are the same, right? Like I, I can say a sentence that's really, really valuable to someone, or I can just say seven to 10 random words. And that doesn't mean those two sentences are equal in value. Like the value comes from thinking and communicating clearly. And the more clearly you can communicate, the more that the more value that holds, the more valuable it is, the more people are willing to pay for it. So when I judge my own writing, I I really don't ever say to myself, oh, this is only 500 words, it should be 700, you know, or this is only 30,000 words, it should be 50,000. If, if I'm saying what I want to say in the way that it needs to be said, then that's all that matters. And most of the time, it's actually the opposite. I don't want it to be longer. I actually want it to be shorter because you know, as I talk about all the time and especially writing on the internet, like people's attention spans are very short. So the goal should never be, how can I write more words? The goal should be, how can I write the most valuable, impactful, densely, densely based, packed, you know, created statements and messages. And then after the fact, sure, if I count everything that I wrote in a day, it's probably more than 10,000 words, but I don't, I don't benchmark against that number. What do you benchmark for? Is it number of hours? Is it focus work? What is that benchmark that you're looking for, if any? Yeah, I really try. Like, I've learned over the years, especially just with my own writing, um, it's got to be a minimum of two hours a day. I, I really aim for closer to three to four focused hours. That's for like my own personal stuff. Uh, but I mean, I was thinking about this last night. I was walking my dog at, you know, 9.30 last night and I was just going through my day. I mean, yesterday is a great example. I was up at 6 a.m. I was writing my own stuff from 6.15 to 9 a.m. Then I was working on a messaging project for a big company, still writing, still using words for another three or four hours, took a break, then ghost wrote, you know, two, two pieces for different executives. That was a couple more hours read, made dinner, wrote something else, you know, and like by the, by the time the day is done and I was walking my dog, like I said, I was like, okay, I've, I've legitimately sat here and I've clocked 10 plus hard hours of writing today. And I, and I, I truthfully do that like six, usually seven days a week. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. very, very consistently that. And when you're, so this leads me to ask you, what is the vision? Why are you going so hard? And is this just like your natural calling? Is this you want to be the greatest of all time? Like what, what is it that's fueling you for your grand vision? Greatest of all time would be cool. Um, but yeah, I to be honest, it's A, just my personality. Like when I'm really connected to something, I live it, breathe it, obsess about it, care about it want to get better at it but a lot of it's just fueled by curiosity like you know i'll take on projects very often just because i'm curious just because i want to see if i can do it or if it can teach me something um but yeah i have i have a lot of aspiration around me just wanting to see what my potential is as a writer and and how diverse it can be. You know, I write a lot of different things. I, I've written for a lot of different people. I read a lot of different topics. I enjoy a wide spectrum of, of interest. So, um, you know, I've, I've kind of been pivoting lately for the past few years. You know, my goal was a little simpler. It was just, I want to be the most read writer on the internet. And in a lot of ways, I accomplished that. You know, I, I, I achieved things that 
very, very, very few people do or, or even know is possible by writing online. And I kind of reached this point where I was like, okay, no, me writing more articles isn't going to move me further. You know, like I, I've written thousands at this point. So I have to change the goal. And, you know, my dream's always just been writing books. And so now, because this is, <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with doing things differently. I, I, I don't like, if the game's already been defined, I'm bored. Like, I, I really like doing things that other people say is impossible or other people just don't, um, don't imagine as clearly. Because that, to me, that's the whole curiosity. That's what I enjoy exploring. And so the big thing that I've really realized is just how um, kind of unfair the whole book publishing world is. And you have a system that's engineered to buy up a lot of really talented work, but it doesn't really reward the authors. You know, most of the time these writers are giving up 85 plus percent of their product for a small advance that then the publisher basically says they have to use to market the book that they now no longer own. So, and this happens everywhere. And then the, the, every once in a while you get the random, you know, author that has the home run and it makes it seem like that's the dream and you all, you, everyone should aspire for this book publishing contract future. But, um, the more and more you look at it across every industry, ownership is what matters. And it's the creators and the artists that are able to invest in themselves for a long enough period of time where then they prove that that future is possible. And then they end up out earning everybody else by a factor of 10. And the only thing it requires is you to just be really patient with yourself um, for a long time. You have to give up that, that instant gratification of saying, Oh, I'm, signed to a major publishing house. So that's that's a long-winded way of saying that that is what I want to do and that's what I want to prove for writers and show that there's this other path that is completely viable and you can do it yourself. So you're basically trying to do what Kanye is currently trying to do for the music industry. <laughs> I did a whole Twitter thread on that. But yeah, like he's, you know, he ran around a couple weeks ago and was like I'm going to talk about how ridiculous all of these music contracts are and the exact same thing to be honest book publishing is as if not more predatory i mean our authors have nothing they get they get so little and then if you're if you are the the outlier case even still even even if you're an author like that's that's the i'm i'm obsessed with the concept of opportunity cost it's like even if you get a million dollar advance that's amazing, but are you even stopping to consider that maybe possibly that could have been ten million if you hadn't mm-hmm. done it yourself? And I I find that to be a jarring question. Like, I a <laughs> million dollars is great, but if I knew that I could have had ten, then all of a sudden I'm kind of like, ah, I made a mistake. Yeah, that makes sense. And what I wanted to talk to you about, kind of on the same idea, is a couple of a few different writers that I look up to and it seems as if the way in which you're talking about writing online in your book is slightly different than the way some of these writers have operated. So I want you to kind of talk about maybe what James Clear, David Perel, Nat Eliasson, I don't know if you're familiar with all these names, but it's like, what are they doing differently and, and what are they doing wrong maybe or what would you suggest a different path? Talk a little bit about your thinking versus their thinking in the approach. And this might be a nuanced question for people listening, but I'm very curious about the answer. Yeah. So the way that I, I try and frame this in the book too is um, there are multiple paths to success. There are the, the biggest problem that I found even just with my own journey and my own writing. And then I always like to really gut check my own theories because, you know, it's great if it works for me, but does it work for other people too? And so all throughout this journey, I would, I would take things to my friends or, you know, then we built a business and I would test things out with clients. I was always trying to make sure it's not just me. This, this works universally. And the number one problem that I realized 
every like almost without fail every single person was running into is they thought they knew what they wanted to write about and they really didn't and the way that i learned that for myself is through a lot of practice and by getting feedback in the form of data so the more that i wrote on quora in the beginning and then medium and these other places the more these platforms and the engagement that audience members would give me, that told me what was working. And then over time, I started to realize that a lot of the things that I started with, that I thought, this is what I want to write about, this is what I think people want to hear about from me, data started telling me that that wasn't really true. It was when I you know, told stories like this, or I framed it more about life advice as opposed to this like data was giving me those answers the problem that i see with other people you know kind of like i'm i'm generally familiar with you know james clear and dave perel and you know some of the other people that still live by and use this language of you should have a blog um the problem that i see and and there's not a lot of discussion around this is that there's there's really a step that comes before that and those theories or those growth strategies, you know, those, those writing techniques that these other people share, I still think there's a lot of truth to them, but they kind of only work if you're operating from a place of understanding in, to begin with. And I find that the vast majority of time people aren't starting there. They're starting from a place of either they're so convicted in what it is they think that people want to hear about or they've they're really shy and they're really timid and afraid to put themselves out there and so they want a safer environment so that they don't have to get that feedback and data so a blog is a safer environment it's a lot you know <laughs> it's very different than putting something on social media where you're going to immediately know if people agree or, or disagree with you so my whole thesis and everything is based around in order to have the answer to that question you need data in order to get data faster, you need environments that give you data faster. The environments that do that are social. If you can use social to get answers to those questions, by the time you then decide down the road, oh, I want to build my own site or I want to you know, have products that I can sell and I want to drive people to my blog and all of those things, those decisions then are not based on your own just gut feeling. They're based on, you know, pieces and content and years and data and things that are actually validating what you're thinking. And that's that's the part that I find a lot of people don't talk about. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is because you're such a long-term thinker and it's clear from your book that you are, you also simultaneously kind of at least in the way it's outlined from the book and what I've read is you discount search engine optimization, SEO, and you, because you're, you want your name out in more places. Why exactly is that the strategy to discount SEO and just blast your name basically to other publications? If I have that correct. Yeah, it's a, it's a multi-layered question. So for one, this has become, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially recently in just things I've been reading. Um, but I've really learned that it is far more important to understand what game you're playing rather than trying to expend as much energy as possible all the time just kind of just playing the game and just going through the motions. Um, the most obvious example I see with this is like for years, I thought that I needed to have a Facebook and a Twitter and a Snapchat and an Instagram and a, you know, whatever. And I needed to maintain them all. And real growth for me changed when I stopped trying to do that. And I said, I'm not going to care about anything else except writing on Quora. I'm going to pick one platform and dominate it. And that's what happened. And once once you dominate a platform, it becomes a lot easier to then move that attention and, and move the skills that you gain in the process over to another and then another. You know, like the reason why 
I've only been experimenting with Twitter for the past like couple months, honestly. Like it's just been a republishing, you know, passive platform in the background, and and I like basically never really used it. And I've started playing with it over the past couple months, and there's a reason why. Almost immediately, I've started doing these threads, and they've they've gone viral. And that's because I've learned those skills by writing a thousand plus articles on Quora over four or five years. So understanding what game you're playing and mastering that game is really, really important. And there's a big part of me that knows SEO is a very different type of game. And it's also not a game that I'm really interested in playing. It's it, SEO is not about writing. SEO is about understanding search algorithms and backlinks and getting other sites to point to your site and you know like yes do you need to have good content yeah of course but like at the end of the day the seo game puts rankings above quality of writing period Mm -hmm. so because i know that that's not really the game that i want to play or that i'm interested in my strategies are about taking the game that i do want to play which is I love writing. I want to write valuable things. Those things are most likely not going to rank. You know, I don't write, um, I don't always write opinion columns or articles that because I'm like, oh, I really want to rank for the keyword millennial life advice. You know, that's not, that's not how I think about it. So if I know I'm not playing that game, then my strategies and tactics need to be about, well, what game am I playing and how can I maximize that? And so, because I'm playing a different game, the best way to take advantage of that is to not care about SEO, throw it out the window, realize that that's not really my goal, and how else can I maximize viewership? And so, you know, and then in the book, I put a whole handful of things that you can do. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love the idea that you know what game you're playing and, and you're not saying SEO is wrong. It's just not not where you want to focus your attention. And I think that's really important. And I also love what you said about just focusing on one thing in the beginning or focusing on one thing so that you could translate to another area. I think so often we feel as if we need to, as a creator, you need to be everywhere. But when you do that, you sometimes don't maximize getting really good at one. And once you get really good at one, like you said, you can translate that to another area. Yep. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about was about how specifically you track your writing. Do you have any method like a spreadsheet or anything like that or a template that you use to track all of the inputs and like, okay, I wrote this amount this day and and it was about this topic. Do you have any tracking method that any writer could use to just think about their writing or to, to track their writing? You know, I don't, but I actually, I, and I, I say that and share that uh, as a positive. Um, because, again, very fa- like, success is always about foundational stuff. It's very mm-hmm. basic stuff. It's never, you know, I was doing another podcast, I think, last week, and like, it, it, everyone always wants to have the conversations around. Uh, what are the best growth hacks and how do I go from zero to a hundred overnight? And, you know, but, but there's, there's really little discussion or focus around the basics that allow those things to even happen in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I, I emphasize, especially to a lot of other, other people and writers that are just starting out that, um, you can spend all day creating spreadsheets and finding ways to track things and how am I, I I did a lot of that early on too. I was like obsessed with just, Oh, if I don't go about this perfectly, it's not going to work. And then over time, like most things, I started to realize that there was only one thing that moved the needle period. Everything else was just ancillary. And the one thing was I wrote a Quora answer every day. That's Mm -hmm. it. And if I did that all by itself, if all I did was just write my core answer for the day and I was consistent day after day, week after week, month after month, I beat everyone. And it, was, it wasn't it was even a question of necessarily talent. I think I have some innate talent, uh, but my real 
gift is work ethic. It's it's the fact that I am willing to be consistent seven days a week, 12 months out of the year, five years, 10 years, you know, like I will do that. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I, I, again, I share that because if it was as easy as, oh, just download my, uh, my weekly writing template and then you'll have everything too. Like <laughs> I, again, this book, like, I, and you know, you had said you're, you're about halfway through it. Like I, I really sat there and was like, how can I engineer as many just get rich quick writing principles, right? Like that's basically what it is. It's like, you want to cut the corner. You want to, you want to have 10 years compressed into six months. Like I'm going to give you as many models as possible. But the thing that I keep stressing over and over again is none of it matters if you are not consistent, period. Hmm. Yeah. I, I love that you stress that point. And it, uh, it's so important. Consistency is so important in in just anything you do. And so I wanted to talk to you about this this passage in your book. And I wanted to uh, just ask you about it because I think it relates directly to me. You said cool. you, you can and want to write in public on a regular basis. One times per month is barely cutting it. Twice a month, okay. Four times a month, now you're getting somewhere. Daily, shoot me an email because I want to invest in you. So <laughs> I write daily. Um, I don't publish daily, but I, I post two blog posts currently a week and write on Twitter daily and uh, one newsletter a week. So, so what is that investment that you're that you're trying to invest in people? Is it just like talk to me about that? Like if someone emails you, what it, what does that mean? I've actually had a couple people email me with uh, saying that from the book. Um, I mean, for one, in in the most uh, general sense, it's me saying, I my, my time is valuable. Everyone's time is valuable. Uh, the busy or the harder you work and the better you get at something, the more valuable your time becomes. And so that's my way of saying to people, I just like everyone else, I've learned from a lot of really smart people. I just like the people who took the time to teach me. The reason they were willing to teach me was because I took the things that they shared with me and I put them into practice. I actually did them. And then when I did them, I would go back to them and say, I did the thing you told me to do. What's next? And then they'd give me something and then I'd go do it. And then I'd go back to them. and I said, I did that too. What's next? And that's the definition of mentorship. And and as a complete side note, because this gets misconstrued a lot. Finding a mentor is not about going and asking someone to mentor you. It's about asking them one question, them giving you something to do, and then you going and doing it and proving that you actually want to learn, coming back, and then they go, cool, I'll give you another thing that you can put into practice and learn and do. And if you do that enough times over a year, two years, four years, whatever, you end up calling someone your mentor. So that package or that that statement package i don't know why i said the word package that's that statement that i had in the book was me saying i'm willing to invest time into you if you are willing to take the things that i'm saying and you put them into practice and if you do shoot me an email and ask me what's the next thing that i can do what's the next thing that i can do and i will tell you but i'm not going to spend the time doing that for someone that goes what's the answer and then waits three months and doesn't, doesn't do anything because then what's the point of that? Yeah. And I love that. And you'll be expecting an email from me in the future. But what, what I, I love about what you just said is that it's so you want, you think you want someone to hold your hand, but what you actually want is just someone to tell you do one thing and then, and just do that thing and, and keep going. So I think people get lost in mentorship in the idea that other people don't want to mentor them. Like if you're successful, there's a good chance you want to teach someone what you know, right? But you want to teach someone who's actually going to apply it. Like it it's crazy yep. to me. You know what I mean? So it's um it's I understand what you're saying and and uh makes perfect sense to me. So switching gears a little bit, one of the reasons why I I 
loved your writing so much and could relate to it is because you have a history in bodybuilding. And although I'm, I'm nowhere professional or close to be professional, I, I've spent the last three years lifting weights very consistently and, and it, it's played a huge role in, in developing my psyche. So talk about not only the role that bodybuilding played in your life, but also about the injury that happened that, that shaped your life because this was a story that was so well written that I would love for you to talk about on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, the, the infamous injury. Um, yeah, for context, I, I got into bodybuilding really, uh, when I was about 18 or 19, um, I didn't know that I was allergic to gluten. So I have celiac disease until I was 18. So I was really, really sick growing up. Um, you know, gluten's in pretty much everything in the American diet. So I was just constantly seeing doctors, missing school, really underweight. And and I didn't know until I turned 18. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is what life is like if you're normal and you don't feel like you have the flu every day. It's pretty, is is a dramatic shift. And one of the things, you know, you have to remember when I was 18, I was 2008. And nobody, like a lot of the food trends that exist today really weren't there yet. Like almond milk wasn't a thing, right? <laughs> or, you know, like gluten-free bread. Like the there was like one tiny little square of shelf space in the grocery store where it was like, here are these weird gluten-free foods that haven't caught, caught on yet. And so as I learned that I had to shift my diet, I basically realized, and, and my mom pointed this out to me a lot too, because she has celiac disease as well, is, you know, you're basically going to be eating rice, potatoes, veggies, meats and like that's it it's a very very clean diet you know sounds there's like no... my diet right and so and so what happened it was an interesting kind of identity moment because what happened was i realized okay i can either spend the rest of my life just like really upset at the fact that i can't have pizza and beers with friends right beer has gluten in it pizza has gluten in it uh so what am i going to do and I kind of stumbled across the world of bodybuilding because I was looking up just things that I could eat with celiac disease. And and someone, I forget, you know, something on the internet, someone had pointed out that bodybuilding diets were very gluten-free and celiac friendly just by the nature of them because you have to eat really clean as a bodybuilder. So that was the beginning for me. It was, it was more of a way of taking a, a negative and a, a weakness and turning it into a positive and a strength. And so... I got really into bodybuilding, same same thing I was talking about with mentorship. I got a gym membership, one of the big guys at the gym. I just kept harassing him with questions, being like, how'd you get this muscle? How do you do this? And and I was the only one who kept showing up every single night, 5 p.m. I got another question. I got another question. And he really took me under his wing. And because I was putting into practice the things that he was telling me, you know, I was eating like a maniac. I was game to show up and do two-hour, three-hour lifts every night. I, I just, I completely changed and I put on like 70 pounds of muscle and I looked like I had eaten my former self and it, you know, it became a, <laughs> I just, it, I like wasn't even the same person. And, um, I, I did that from, you know, I really started taking it seriously when I was about 20. And by the time I was 26, I was like, I mean, just the best shape of my entire life. And I really thought, you know, uh, maybe I can do something with fitness. I had written some fitness ebooks on the internet. That's I was writing a lot on Quora about fitness stuff. Like I really thought, because I loved lifting, that that was going to be my future. Even though I knew that uh, I loved writing the same or more, and that was like that was a really hard thing for me to figure out what I wanted to do with. And and then yeah, it was uh, it was really unfortunate, but it was also. Um, I don't know, maybe the universe telling me that it was time, but I went to the gym on my 26th birth birthday and I'll, I'll obviously never forget the day cause it was my birthday. And my mentor at work at the time, uh, asked me if I wanted to go out for a steak dinner. And I was like, nah, man, it's chess tonight. And I, and I, I didn't celebrate my birthday and I went to the gym instead and I ended up herniating a disc in my neck and that just changed everything. I mean, I didn't, I didn't go back to the gym for two years and you know i was on painkillers and ice for three months and and yet at the same time that was also the moment because i couldn't lift 
stopped and I was that made me so uncomfortable. I I missed the gym. It was such a huge part of my life. My whole life was based around meals and lifts. Like that was how I structured everything. So as a way of kind of coping with that, I just went all in on writing. And that was the same time period that I basically quit my job, went all in on freelance writing. I finished my book. I ended up getting my first handful of ghostwriting clients. Next thing I knew, me and a close friend are building a company. And a year later, I'm the founder of a seven-figure ghostwriting company. And none of none of that could have been possible if I was still treating bodybuilding and lifting as the number one priority in my life, which it was. And what I want to ask you about is how that felt mentally to not be in the gym for two years. I can't imagine going like two weeks without lifting weights. So, you know, talk to me about what that did to your psyche and what it felt like to just have something be something that was a necessity to something that you physically couldn't do. It sucked. It it (laughs) was, it was, uh, it was really hard. And I noticed a lot, a lot of things kind of unraveled um, in my life and in my personality, I, I have a very, very obsessive personality. I also have a very addictive nature. Um, I had substance abuse issues when I was younger and I, I just, it took me a long time to turn, like I said, that, that negative into a positive. And once I did and I, and I learned to love it, um, that was my way of kind of understanding the world you know was it i i have always seen the world through whatever it is that i'm connected to whatever it is that i'm doing and so bodybuilding for me was that but it wasn't typical bodybuilding there was a point in the uh in the journey where a bunch of the guys that i was around uh they all they all made the decision that they were like this is going to be my life and they all started taking steroids and you know a bunch of them started competing and those were the guys that I lifted with every single night and and it was clear to me that if I wanted to go down that road it was there but that was going to cost me a lot you know like I was going to give up even more for that and I and I didn't really know if that's what I wanted out of it um so I ultimately said no you know I never took steroids I it was always more about just lifting and uh, cultivating a mindset of discipline. That's what it really was to me. And almost every day after I would go to the gym, I would come home and meditate. And mm. and I and I linked the two. It, it was about lifting weights, but it was really about mastering myself. And and it was and for a huge chunk of that, I was a hundred percent sober because I had just. You know, I I went to a rehab program when I was 19, and I I really wanted to use lifting as a way of proving to myself that I I am the captain of my soul. You know, I am the creator of my own destiny, and so it was a, it was a bit more uh, spiritual of a pursuit for me than it was just I want to be shredded and I want to go compete and make this my career. So when I when I couldn't lift anymore, a lot of that um, that had to go somewhere. You know, I I didn't have that vehicle anymore. And so both as a pro and a con, it it went directly into my business. You know, there's a reason why as a company we grew so quickly. We went from me and me and my co-founder in his apartment to 20 full-time employees and seven figures in revenue and 60 plus clients around the world in like 18 months. You know, that, that happened really quickly. And the reason was because I treated it like a sport, you know, I treated it like 14 hours a day, seven days a week. This is the only thing that I think about. And as a result, it, you know, I stopped meditating. I got really unhappy. I ended up in the hospital with shingles cause I was so stressed out, you know, like a lot of it, it impacted a lot of areas in my life. And it's only been in the past year or so and choosing to scale that business back and and reconnect with lifting in a way I can't lift the same way but you know I do more yoga now and more more things that just focus on me feeling good in my body Uh, now I'm starting to reconnect to that and go oh okay kind of went off the deep end there became a workaholic for a few years okay (laughs) what did we learn you know and and how can 
how can that be applied to writing and to other things that are maybe longer lasting and more meaningful? Yeah, man, that's so fascinating that you took the meditation route and then dished it all entirely, focused entirely on on building your agency. And then, so what was the point that you broke? Was it going to the hospital with shingles? And, and what what was that like? No, that was that was like the halfway point. And the, and I think the, the craziest part about that was I, I'll never forget I had I had gone to the hospital and they gave me a bunch of meds and they basically were like I, I went to the hospital like right before it started to get bad. Shingles, you get this kind of weird little rash on your abdomen and the rash is basically a signal like, hey, underneath this, underneath the skin – you're going to get this boa constrictor type feeling around your stomach and around your chest because all of those nerve cells are going to be activated and inflamed. I'm also not a doctor, so the way I'm explaining this is probably not scientifically true, but that's <laughs> what it feels like, right? And um, so they at the hospital, they basically were like, this is about to hurt a lot. So here's painkillers, here's some meds, and basically good luck for the next 30 days because you're going to go on a little roller coaster. And it was exactly that. I mean, we were in full scaling mode. I was on Vicodin while still trying to like hold interviews for new employees. And I was running workshops and I was talking to clients and I was still working like 12 hours a day while my body was like, you need to chill. And I got on this call with these other guys and these are more like seasoned entrepreneurs and I had had to like postpone our last call because I went to the hospital and they were like, hey, Cole, like what's been up? And I was like, oh, yo, you know, just standard everyday life. Like I just went to the hospital with shingles and literally like all three of the guys on this call like laughed. Like these are older, older dudes. They're just like in their 40s and 50s and stuff. And they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> looks like you're a real entrepreneur now. And I was and I was like this is their way of basically saying like you're you're paying your dues like we all have gone through this cuz this is what it means to be an entrepreneur and it was this very weird feeling where i was like on the one hand i'm in a lot of pain and i'm really disappointed in myself that i've become a just full-fledged workaholic and the other part of me is like proud and i'm like mm. oh wow look at look at me this is an achievement i'm so stressed out that i got myself sick and that that was a moment for me where i was like Something about this is not guiding me in the right direction, but I'm so deep in that I don't really know what to do about it. The The moment of change came like a year and a half later where so many things had happened in our business and we were, we were growing and then we weren't growing and just, I mean, it was, you know, it's entrepreneurship. And my girlfriend convinced me to work remotely in Mexico for a month. She had been working at a huge company they just did a massive layoff. She was unfortunately one of the people that got laid off, gave her a severance package. And she was like, I want to travel. You need to take some time off. Why don't we go to Mexico for a month? And of course, you know, I fought her on it and I didn't, I didn't want to go. And I was like, I can't step away from the business right now. And our, our whole company was remote. So the reality was I could, like I could just grab my laptop and I could. So eventually we talked about it enough and I said, fine, fine, I'll go. So we go to Mexico and like three weeks in, we I would work during the week and then on the weekends we would like explore and, you know, check it out. And the third weekend we went to this lagoon uh, called Bacalar and we stayed in this like really just, I mean, little, <laughs> little shack on the, on the beach. And it was on the side of this lagoon and, you know, no AC, one room. Uh, but it was right on the water and the water was crystal clear as warm as a bath. It was incredible. And I'm, and the first day we'd put all our stuff in this, in this little shack and, uh, we both go jump in the lagoon and we both just kind of lay there for a while and I'm laying in this lagoon and I'm like, I'm, that was the moment where I was like, I'm really unhappy. Like, I, what am I doing? Why am I building this? There's no real exit for me. It's just more clients, more revenue, more employees over and over again. What what am I aiming toward? And we came back from that trip and I 
had a conversation with my co-founder and I was like, I just, dude, I can't do this anymore. So we scaled the whole business back. You know, now him and I just work with a small handful of clients and I can actually get back to writing my own things and, and what I had originally set out to do. But it took a long time, man. It took a long time to get to that conclusion. And now that's something that I write about often and I talk about it often because especially in entrepreneurship, but but any pursuit, you know, this happens in sports, this happens in music, this happens in everything, is you you get so obsessed with what you're working on that at a certain point you lose sight of why you started it. And then you, you, you stop questioning whether or not that's actually the thing that you really wanted to do. And for me, it wasn't. It's powerful. And it's almost like one question that pops out is, when you were sitting on that lagoon and just relaxing, were were you meditating at that time? I'm probably just without even realizing it, but yeah, man, that that was it was such a I can like still just feel it. It was you know you're just in this body of water. The craziest thing to me was we went we went out for dinner later that night, and um, the the server who was just, you know, he's great. And he was just telling us about the food and local stuff. And, um, he was educating us on the, on the lagoon. And he said, people travel and come to this place from all over the world because the lagoon is believed to have healing properties. Wow. And I was just like tripping out listening to him talk about it because that's, that's how I felt. It was like the moment I jumped in the water, it was like somebody just shook my my consciousness and was like, you, you are not on the right path. You now know that what you choose to do with that information is up to you. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's crazy. And I, I totally believe in, in stuff like that. And it's, it's really interesting how just when we, we stop for a second, whatever we're doing, if we just stop and, and, and think of nothing, the answer comes to us, right? It's like, it's Usually. crazy, right? Like we're so involved in the actions all the time that when we take a shower, when we start driving, doing nothing, when we're sitting in a lagoon, then we all of a sudden have the answer for what we should be doing. It's yep. fascinating how that works out. So I was going to ask you, man, about lessons you learned from building your agency and scaling it back because – but you – you, it seems like you, you touched on that a lot. Is there anything you didn't mention about building your agency and, and lessons you learned? Man, I mean, well, we could we could talk for hours about lessons learned. I mean, everything from specific business lessons, you know, I think build, building a company, that was something I kept telling myself was as stressed out as I got, you know, as difficult as the journey was. You know, I'm, oh, I just turned 30. I was in my 20s. And to spend 26 to 29, basically, just fully immersed in building a company, my rationalization was like, I'm young. And the amount that I'm learning is going to, it's going to fundamentally change my whole trajectory in life. Uh, it had nothing to do with money for me. Most things have nothing to do with money. I'm I'm a lot more drawn to learning and and the curiosity of it because I know that if you can learn the skill then the money is always there you can always monetize the skill the problem is most people don't put in the time and effort and energy and focus to actually acquire the skill so I knew that building a company would would teach me things that I'd carry with with me for the rest of my life but the the bigger lessons for me were a lot more around just life you know fulfillment happiness um the things that you know like it for example it took it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that i was like maybe i don't want to be a startup founder you know maybe maybe that's not what i want maybe maybe i'm never going to build a billion dollar company maybe that's okay you know and and i think in that it then allowed me to ask the second question which was did you ever really want that in the first place you know or what are you chasing or what what is it that you were trying to get through all of this because the the reality is i've always known i just love writing i'm very very happy when it's just me sitting in a room playing with words and so 
to know that so clearly and yet to simultaneously build a life where I had no silence and I had no time to myself. You know, there's there's a disconnect there. So why was I doing that? So those those are more the questions that I take away from the journey and and that have really informed now what I think the next chapter is. You know, 30 to 40 is a big it's a big area of time, you know, and I want to spend that time really deliberately because I just saw how quickly three years of your life can go by. One one thing that I've been thinking about recently is how the pre-COVID versus post-COVID time in America. And what I mean by that is pre-COVID, the things that we were thinking about were more – this is very generally speaking, but I'm curious to hear what you think about this. It's pre-COVID, we were thinking about – Growth. How can we go faster, bigger, stronger? How can we get to the next level? How can we hit the next revenue target? Post-COVID, it's like we understand the importance of, of our loved ones, the importance of spending time, the importance of living intentionally and doing the things that you want to be doing. Does that relate at all to your journey? Does that make sense to you? What do you think about it? I think so. I mean, it's also worth acknowledging that you know, America's on the the capitalist train. You know, I think that no matter what, even if there's this pause right now, um, habits are habits. You know, the moment the moment that we go back, <laughs> whether or not you believe there's ever a going back, right? But like, as soon as it's okay to go right back to the mentality of, yeah, yeah, I'm out all the time, I'm working all the time, like that that's what's going to happen. Cause that's our society. Um, but yeah, I've noticed just in a lot of ways over the, even over the past six months, you know, like my own relationships have gotten closer in a different sort of way. Um, other relationships have gotten more distant just because you can't see people as often or it's just not the same. Um, but I, I, yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, just in terms of like even looking at the things that I've valued this year, you know, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm basically in sweatpants like every single day. Right. So I, I mean, I don't go shopping. <laughs> uh, I very rarely take trips. I used to travel like minimum twice a month on a plane. Like I used to travel a lot for work to see other people, you know, I haven't really traveled this year. Um, so it's just it's just been a, a shift in ter- and 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 an um, opportunity to slow down and and then when you do slow down you kind of realize what's most important like once again as almost every other chapter of my life has revealed like I really don't need a lot what makes me happy is just waking up and you know having some tea or coffee and sitting down and writing and so as I have really started to realize that again over the past six months. It's like everything should be optimizing that then, you know, if you take away everything else, if the world shuts down for a year and that's where you, you find your happiness, then why aren't you optimizing for that all the time? Mm-hmm. It's powerful and it's true. And it's about understanding yourself. Do you think that you needed to have gone through what you've gone through to realize that? Or do you think that it you could have figured that out? you know, just by starting that way? Um, it's always kind of been true. I loved writing as a kid. I loved writing. I mean, I, when I was a competitive gamer as a teenager, I was also one of the first teenage bloggers on the internet, you know, or when I was in bodybuilding, I wrote about lifting and mindset and all those things the entire time. Like writing's always been a piece of the journey. And I, I think it's only been until recently building a business changed it for me because I've always tied writing directly with whatever other thing I'm pursuing. So when I was pursuing being a professional gamer, I wrote about gaming. When I was pursuing bodybuilding, I wrote about bodybuilding. Um, and same thing with advertising, you know, and same thing with entrepreneurship. And, and there's something different that happens 
I've talked about this a lot with my co-founders. Well, there's something different that happens with your brain once you've built a business. It doesn't need to be a billion-dollar company. It's just once you build a business that works in some capacity, um, you you basically start to realize the game of society, and you understand how value gets moved around, and you you understand how to create things that people want that they're willing to pay for, and you you understand how to leverage either labor or capital to grow the thing that you're building and you know like all of a sudden it's it's not this big question mark of like how do i do things in life you understand the game generally and once you understand the game then it becomes a question of well what do i really want to do with that knowledge you know and 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 how am i using it what what do i think that power is for so yeah i i think um in many ways, I did need to go through it because building a business was kind of the last, I don't know, the last step on that journey of, of understanding when you're pursuing something, how do you, how do you build it? Um, but it was also the most socially acceptable and validated one. You know, like, same thing. As a teenager, it's not really the coolest thing to be like, I'm obsessed with playing World of Warcraft and I'm the best at it. Like, nobody really cares. You know, and... Same thing with bodybuilding. Like, I don't know, it is kind of more mainstream and becoming more and more mainstream, but the reality is it's still a niche sport. There's a lot of people that look at bodybuilders and are like, that's kind of freakish. I'm I'm actually not attracted to that. I don't want that. So building a business was the first time that I had done something where basically everyone in society is like, you're a business owner, dope. <laughs> you know, like, and, and so once you get that validation, then it it raises this really big question for you, which is like, okay, well, if if I did the thing that essentially gets the most validation from the most number of people in society, then like, and I and I realize that doesn't fill this void in me, right? It doesn't really like change you as a person. You're just doing that, and that's your title, and that's how people see you. Then what what else matters? What what, what do you really want to do? You know, and I think that was the moment where I was like, oh, well, what I really want to do is write, but maybe my ego loves saying that I have all this responsibility being a business owner, you know? Hmm. And it's so fascinating. It reminds me of, of what Jim Carrey said. He said, if you're, you know, everyone should try to become rich and famous to understand that that isn't the answer, right? It's like, yeah, that's. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. And and again, just to clarify, by no means am I saying, hey, look at look at me, I've achieved all this fame and fortune. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things, it's it w- it was a very small venture. I've done very small things, but at the same time, they all share the same common thread. You know, and and the lesson is universal. So, if you can learn that lesson in 3 years building one company, that's amazing. If you can learn that lesson, you know, spending 20 years building a publicly traded company, like that's also amazing. It's just, what does it mean to you? And and when you have that moment, what, how does that inform your actions? What do you choose to do with it? Hmm. Before we wrap this up, Nicholas, is there any final pieces of parting wisdom you can give the listeners of this podcast? It's been such an insightful conversation for me and I'm so grateful for it. Man, I, I I love talking about stuff like this. So it could go on for for hours. But I think the big the big thing that I've I've found myself thinking about a lot recently is um, really really truly understanding what direction you're moving yourself in. I think a lot of times it's it's actually hard to know people think, oh, I'm, you know, am I moving in the direction of success, right? Or am I moving in the direction of failure? You know, like they'll make it that black and white, but it's really not about that. It's, it's, am I moving in a direction where every single day I am connected to the thing that really, really matters to me? And if each of those days compound on themselves, what exponential result can I be excited to unlock in myself over time? And that takes a lot of 
slowing down and a lot of clarity to really unpack and understand based on your actions today, what direction are you really steering yourself in tomorrow? Some insightful stuff, man. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, well, Quora, Medium, Twitter, <laughs> Nicholas Cole 77. Um, hit me up through my site. Like I, like we talked about earlier, I, I really try and um, I'm a big believer in paying it forward and, you know, helping the next person. So I encourage people that have questions or are working on their own writing or their own pursuits, you know, shoot me an email. I'll try and respond to all of them. Well, thank you so much for your time. And it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Nicholas Cole. If you enjoyed this conversation, as always, let me know on Twitter at HeyDannyMiranda is the best place to let me know. I appreciate you listening until the final seconds, and I'll see you guys in the next one.